You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. Well, good morning, everyone. I wanted to just give you a brief uh, update on what our summer is going to look like for preaching. We're going to be starting next week our series on end times. And know it's something we've been putting off as we've been in lockdowns because we really want to do it in person for you. And this year, I've, uh, or for this sermon series, I've developed something a little different uh, than the typical. I've developed a study guide that that's all done. So everything we're going to cover um, is essentially in the study guide. It's, um, we're having it professionally printed. And there's going to be uh, one for you if you want one, um, if you're going to use it. Uh, we encourage you to. It's going to have um, a lot on the end time. So it's going to cover what I'm preaching, but it's also going to go in more advanced. So if you want to go home and you want to look through what the Bible has to say about these events with a little more detail, this is going to allow you to do it. And hopefully it's going to spark an interest in you that you can study these things that God has said is going to happen on your own and grow in faith, because that's what we're really going to see through this entire study, is that God is sovereign. God has a plan. God is going to finish out that plan that he has been carrying out since creation. And so I'm looking forward to that and hope you can join us. And I encourage you to try and hear everyone, because every sermon, because if you miss one, then you might be a little confused uh, the next week. So you can catch up on those if you can't be here live online. I'm going to encourage you now to turn to your Bible, turn to Judges chapter four in your Bible, and uh, let's take a minute and pray. God, uh, yeah, I've been grieved, as, as I'm sure most people have, of the yeah, just the findings of these little children, uh, these little graves of these little children. Um, that were that were killed by evil men and women. And Lord, we never want to think that we would allow that sort of stuff to go on on our watch. Um, and yet, the stuff goes on. And so, Lord, I can't do anything about what happened then. And I pray for justice, that whoever were the perpetrators of those evil deeds will be found out and will be held accountable. Lord, but today I, wanna, I want us to look at how we can become men who don't allow these sort of things to happen. How we can become the kind of men um, specifically that you have called us to be. And so Lord, yeah, the principles are the same for men and women, but I really want to today speak to the hearts of men. I want to encourage the ladies uh, to to want to see the best in in men. So help us, Lord. Help me, a simple person. I need your help. Uh, to I need you to preach through me. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. I want to talk to you today about about men and about the current state of men and how we can do something to be a part of lifting up men and encouraging them to be everything that God has. 
called them to be and designed them to be. I think we could all probably, or most of us, uh, look around at the state of men in the West, and when I say the West, I mean I mean the U.S. and Canada and Europe, and say they're not what they used to be. That men um, are failing. Uh, that, that men have lost vision of what it, exactly it is they're supposed to be. What exactly they were designed to be. And that's the thing is God designed men and women. He says it in Genesis. He made them male and female, both equally valuable but different. And a lot of men I talk to nowadays, they don't know what they're supposed to be. Maybe they never had the vision. Maybe they lost the vision along the way, but they're just sort of floating through without a a model of, of who they are and without encouragement to become that. You look at the stats of the state of manhood in our country, and it's pretty sad. Uh, About 70% of men between the ages of 18 and 34, um, the highest in the history of our nation, are unmarried. And and the number in the last 15 years has risen by 6%. Of those those 70% of men who are unmarried, it's now 30%. Uh, sorry, 29% of them have, have zero interest, have zero interest in ever getting married. It's the highest it's ever been. Women, on the other hand, has been rising. More and more and more of them are desiring marriage, and yet they say there's no men to marry, no Christian men, no good men to marry. Men don't want to get married. The reasons in a, a big uh, research a uh, project that was done where they pulled men who were single and they asked them, why don't you want to get married? Or why do you have no interest in ever being married? They say, well, here's the top eight reasons. I'll lose respect. Meaning being a man, a married man, being a father specifically is not something that's respected in society anymore. They say, I'll lose sex. My wife won't sleep with me. I'll lose friends. My wife will get rid of all my friends. I'll lose space. I'll be pushed into some sort of man cave. I'll eventually lose my kids and all my money. I'll eventually lose in court. And they say that life is just better if a man never gets married. Isn't that a sad thing? That should grieve your heart. That should gri- I look at that and that grieves my heart that men around our country are saying, it's just better never to get married. Because I think marriage is one of the best things that God gives men. To be a husband of a wife is one of the greatest gifts that God gives to us on this earth. Not only that, men in our country don't want to be fathers either. Fertility rates among Westerners has been falling for the last five decades to its lowest in history. And and, and people interviewed from my generation, the generation below me, who grew up with a lot of absentee fathers, a lot of single mother households, now say, well, it's better just to never have children than to be an absentee father, as my father, they say, was. Men no longer see a value in being a part of a church. Whereas 120 years ago, the numbers of men to women in churches was was relatively equal Now, the latest Gallup poll says that the average church in Canada and the U.S. is made up of 61% females and 39% males. And of that, it is the females that take a much more active role in the church. There are more now 
women in undergrad programs in Canadian universities, and 69% of those in graduate-level programs in Canadian universities are females. Not that there's anything bad with that, it's just showing us that men are no longer interested in higher education. Men are three and a half times more likely to commit suicide in Canada than women. There's 93% of those in prisons are male. They're three, and a, three times more likely than a female to be an alcoholic and twice as likely to be a drug addict, and so on and so forth. The state of manhood is in trouble. That's the present situation. And there's no easy fix, but God gives us a starting place. A starting place. See, there is an example for men. Whether you grew up with a father or no father, whether you you grew up with lots of good, godly men in your life, or you grew up with the worst kind of men, there is a man that we can turn to for an example. And that is Jesus Christ, of course. He is our utmost example. He is the perfect, balanced man. But what we have to understand men and and women, is that if Jesus is the perfect example, and let's say he's in the middle, and, and as we seek God, he promises to make us more like him, then to the left and to the right are two other extremes. We could call these shadows of men. They're a glimpse of, of, of a man, but they're not what God intended for us to be. They're extremes. And on one side, we, we see this, this man called Satan. He is the ultimate villain, the, the dictator, the abuser, the narcissist, the thug, the addict. And some men, if they're not seeking Christ, will flow over to this. They will become the tyrant. They will become the abuser, the narcissist. Right? We see examples of them in the Bible like Absalom and, and Herod and, and, and Saul, the King Saul. We see examples of them in movies like Darth Vader and and if you've seen Forrest Gump, the father of Jenny. Evil men who punish and who hurt, who take pleasure in it, just like Satan. And and on the other side, the other extreme is the Adam, the first Adam, the one in the book of Genesis. The Adam who God gave responsibility to, but he was asleep at the wheel while Satan was tempting his wife. He wasn't leading He allowed her to fall into sin. And then when questioned by God, how did you allow this to happen? He blames his wife. This is the other extreme, the coward, uh, the passive man, the the mama's boy, the victim, the the slug. We see examples of of him in the Bible like Jacob who who cheated his father and, and ran away instead of facing his his uh, sins. We see him in the brother of Moses, Aaron, uh, who when push came to shove, he gave into the people and built them their golden calf. And then he blamed it on the people when he was questioned. We see it in Ahab who was controlled and manipulated by his wife Jezebel and didn't stand up to her and all the evil she was doing. We see him in, in so many of the sitcoms nowadays, what does it portray Canadian and U.S. men like? Stupid, useless, cowardly, sort of insignificant things. Homer Simpsons, if you may. And so those are the extremes. And what we need to understand for all of us is that if we're not seeking Christ, we will naturally 
drift into one of these two categories. We will drift closer to them. We will become more like them, the tyrant or the passive man. But the biblical man encompasses both strength and love. And when I mean strength, I'm not talking about muscle strength. I'm talking about strength of character. Paul reminds and encourages the men in in the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. He says, be watchful and stand firm in faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all you do be done in love. Did you get that? Act like men. Be strong, not in strength, but in character. And let all you do be done in love. The biblical man, okay, is the kind of man that is compassionate and brave, who takes an active role in the things that God has placed in their family, in their work, in their church, in their society. He is a kind of man who who is God-fearing and God-loving. You get a kind of example of him in in a movie, uh, if you've seen The Lion King, Mustafa, who plays the father lion, he is like the, the, a good archetype of what that kind of man is. He is uh, the kind of father who, who his son can come up and come up to against, to, that his wife and, and the, all the other animals feel safe around. His job, his pleasure is to protect and bring everyone's life into a better place. He's also the kind that the enemies know not to mess with, that he is someone who will not morally be compromised. We see another good example in the movie The Lord of the Rings, Aragon, who comes onto the scene and brings peace to the land through his kingship. He is not someone who uses his power for his own gain, and he is not somebody who simply stands by while those who have power harm others. The biblical man is is the kind of person who women and children feel safe around and yet who evil men know not to mess with. And here's the thing, if boys and if men are not crafted and supported into becoming the biblical man, into going after Jesus, they will naturally drift into one of these two categories. And we can see that all over the world. We can see the effects of evil men and of weak passive men. And here in Judges 4, we see how a woman, a very wise woman, encourages a man to become that which God designed him to be. It's in the time of the judges, obviously. We've talked about this a lot in the past. It's a a time after Joshua has brought them into the land and they are divided into their tribes. And through their tribes, they have the law of Moses and they are supposed to be seeking God And yet they constantly will turn away from God and then a decline will happen in the society and then a crisis point will happen and then they'll call out to God and God sends a judge, someone who will lead them out of the problems and out of the challenges on God's behalf. And and so far up to this point, there have been three judges who have brought stability and peace and after they die, the people again follow the trend and turn away. And we pick it up in verse one. The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Edom had died. Ehud had died. So the Lord sold them to the king Jabin of Canaan, who reigned in Hezer. The commander of the army was 
Sheshurah, who lived in Harath of the nations. And so we read here about this king, but we actually have uh, extra biblical, so meaning, so meaning extra historical data that talks about this king. The Roman historian Josephus speaks of this king who once ruled. He, he says that Jabin, this king, had an infantry of 300,000 men. He was very strong, powerful. He had 10,000 cavalry and 300 chariots at his disposal. So we get a little bit of extra, meaning this man literally dominated the region. He dominated the region. Nobody could touch him. The Israelites were just men with basic clubs and swords, and, and a lot of them just had, just had very basic weapons. And this guy had 3,000 armored chariots. And we have to understand the times. In those days, an armored chariot was like a tank nowadays. So kind of putting it in, it would be like the U.S., versus Canada, we would be outgunned because we just don't have the equipment they have. And that's the situation here. And, and so what's happening is these, these foreign guys are dominating the Israelites. They can't touch them. It says in verse 3, the Israelites cried out to the Lord because Jabin had 900 iron chariots and he harshly oppressed them for 20 years. 20 years of oppression, 20 years of being dominated, 20 years of being controlled. And now they are just a bunch of defeated men. And, and history is pretty clear. History is harsh. History is clear that if we do not have men of integrity, if we do not have men who stand for what is right, then naturally evil men, tyrants, will take over. If all we have is weak men... And tyrants, the tyrants will eventually take over. You can see that all over the world. The nations that have had a, a time of peace and stability, like democracy, like we're talking about for the last couple hundred years in Canada, and by no means are they perfect, and there are, yes, lots of evil men, as we've seen, that have been able to do things, evil men and women. But we have enjoyed a life and, and the ability to have a life that very few in the world have ever experienced. And as I look back through history, the defining, okay, the key thing, uh, the key factor that allows for nations to become nations like once we once were and like what we are very much now is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the factor. When men and women's hearts are transformed, transformed by the living God, when they receive the gospel and Jesus comes to live inside of them, that is the defining factor that brings nations into times of peace like we have enjoyed in opportunity and stability. And you can see it. Where are people flocking to? There are only a handful of countries that people en masse are coming to. And they are countries that were at once time were, at one time where a lot of Christians lived. And people aren't flocking to places where evil men and tyrants dominate. And so what we need to tell our men, ladies and gentlemen, this is key, this is so important, is the whole gospel. They need to hear the entire gospel. They need to know about the whole Jesus. And what do I mean by the entire gospel? I don't mean, I mean not a half gospel. 
Not like the sort of medieval gospel that where it's like the, you portray Jesus as this angry, always waiting to destroy you, God, and unless you do this and this and this, he will wipe you off the face of the planet. That raised, a, for in the times of the medieval days, these men that claimed to be Christian that, but that did horrible things because they believed they were following a God who was like that. That's not the gospel. And nor is the, the sort of liberal hippie Jesus that we see been portrayed for the last 70 or 80 years in the West. Whereas this Jesus, he doesn't really ever stand for anything and he's just here to kind of make your life great and, and he's good with whatever culture says. Not that Jesus either. Men and women need to hear the whole gospel. The only reason I am who I am today, the only reason there's anything good in me is because Jesus Christ came into me. That I read the words of Jesus. That I, I knew I was a sinful man. That he said, I've come that you may have life. And whoever will receive me, I will by no means turn away. When I read the words of Jesus, when I read the whole gospel in the Bible, when I read the gospel of John overseas, I realized this Jesus was dead serious, dead serious about a few things, about rescuing me. He cared so much. God came to this earth as a man and died in my place. And when I saw that there was a God who would come to earth to save me from my sin, I was so taken back. But on the Other hand as well, I read that this Jesus was like, unless you're going to give me your whole self, unless you're going to allow me to be your king and not just your savior, don't come. And so I saw the whole gospel. I saw the, 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 the full picture of Jesus and he came inside of me and he changed me and he can do that for anyone, anyone who's listening right now. You don't have to live the way you used to live, the way you live now. You don't have to be empty. You don't have to be searching on how am I going to survive and who's going to look after me and what sort of a man am I supposed to be? In Christ, we get the perfect God who not only just says do this and do this, but who comes to live it through us. And so men need the gospel. Ladies, mothers, grandmothers, Neighbors, men, you need to share with other men the gospel, the whole gospel. That is the greatest hope for our generation. Not that we give them more programs, not that we give them better education, but that their hearts are transformed. So wives, grandmothers, mothers, boldly share the gospel. Men, share the gospel with the lost men around you. Don't let them not know. This generation was lost, and yet they cry out to the Lord. They cried out to the Lord because they realized everything we've done, our parents turned away from the Lord 20 years ago, and it's not working. And so they try something else, and that something else was Christ. And so now they're in a situation, they're outgunned for sure. The odds are on the enemy's side for sure, but now they've got God's attention, and that's the thing doesn't matter what you've done in the past. If you will humble yourself and cry out to the Lord, he will start to move on your behalf. He doesn't just like fold his arms and say, you know what, I'm done with you. Have your own mess. No, he starts to go to work. And it may not be in your own time. 
And it may not be according to how you think he should work, but God will go to work. He starts moving in our weakness. Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. Are you feeling weak, men? Do you not know how to carry on in your marriage, in your relationships, being a father, being an employee, being a boss, running your finances in life? Are you one of those men that's just like, I don't know what to do? Cry out to the Lord and he will make his power known in your life. Then we read in verse four, Deborah, a prophetess and wife of Lapidoth was judging Israel at the time. She would sit under the palm, under the palm tree of Deborah between Reha and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to settle disputes. Notice she's called a prophetess. Okay, She is a prophet. She speaks on behalf of God to the people. And she goes to God on behalf of the people. And now there are a small group of special ladies in the Bible. Uh, they're not a huge group, but they're a pretty miraculous group of women that are called prophetesses. The first one we see is Miriam, Moses' sister. The second one we see is a lady in 2 Kings chapter 2 in the time of Josiah. Uh, call, or sorry, the second one is Deborah. And then the third one is Hadul. And then the third one is Anna in the New Testament, Luke chapter 2. And then finally in Acts chapter 21, there's a guy named Philip who has four daughters who prophesy. So there isn't a huge group of these ladies, but they are special, and Deborah happens to be one of them. She is God's authority in that place at that time. And notice her husband's name is given, and that's kind of important, right? Let's think about this in context. And, and anyone would say that God is like a sexist God, not true, not true at all. The text was written not introducing him as her husband, or as her, yeah, as her husband, but as her, the wife of him. Now there's two verses, two whole chapters on Deborah. She's an important woman. She's a spectacular gal. She does some amazing things. She is God's instrument to ignite the passion of God in the men, in the nation, and bring them out of hardship. And yet, look how she's introduced. If I was writing the story, and this lady was the superstar of the story, uh, I would say there was a guy named Lapidoth who was the husband of Deborah, because Deborah's the famous one, right? Not him. And you know that, that when you're married to somebody that's kind of a superstar, right? You're not known. You're just known for being, you're just known through them. But I think we see her attitude here. And she wants to be known as the wife of Labadoth, even though she's famous, even though she's like a superstar of the time. Because I think she saw the value. She knew God's design. She was a woman after God's own heart. And she knew God's design for the family. And that was that the husband led the family. And so even though she has great influence, even though she has great power, she still identifies herself as the wife of Labadoth. And that's my second point. Men need, men need, ladies, men need to know that their place is honored that their place is honored. Men need to know this. 
like, like the survey said, men think that society looks at them as sort of a useless thing. We live in a culture that, that's now like celebrating and, 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 and being prideful at being better than men. Like, like women make better parents. Women make better employees. Women make better students. Women make better athletes. Women are great. Women are awesome. And men, we would be a complete mess without the ladies. But there's like this sort of attitude that we don't need men anymore. They're an obsolete thing from the past. And the biblical view of the family, we don't need that anymore. And so men are kind of like, even in the church, I see it. They, They have this kind of defeated view of themselves, a lot of them. Shoulders hunched forward and I can't really do anything right. I, I just fail in my home and I'm ne- I never, it's never good enough for her and I don't think I can really do much good. A lot of them just have a defeated feeling because they've lost their view of what God has for them. And, and ladies, even sometimes if they don't deserve respect, God still asks you to honor them. Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's a big, that's a big job. I know I fail every day at loving my wife the way Christ loved the church. Yet, it says after that, and wives, see that you respect and honor your husbands. I think the fact uh, that she insists at being known as the wife of Labadoth is showing that she honors and respects her husband. And her husband probably walks with his shoulders high. Because he knows my wife is for me. My wife is way more gifted than me. She's being used by God and seems in way more than I am. But yet she still values me and honors me as the head of my family. And ladies, I know your, your husbands aren't perfect. And I know a lot of them need a kick in the rear. But if you can honor them despite their deficiencies, it'll give them an extra boost And ladies, I know Genesis 2, this is a controversial uh, text. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone, so I will make him a suitable helper. I know nowadays women say, Helper. I am not going to be some man's helper. But I wish you could see the value and and the honorable place. You are no less, ladies, in, in value than a man. But God has roles. And he has given the man the challenging role of leading. And you are to help him, to encourage him. And, and I'm not just talking to married couples, I'm talking to mothers. Okay, I'm talking to grandmothers to encourage these men to become that, to honor them as valuable. And I'm even talking to single ladies to just encourage men that they have a place, that they are, are not some trivial thing in our society anymore. Men need your help, ladies. And so let's, let's, not, let's not look at men the way culture does. Even if you're more talented, ladies, and, and I know a lot of you are, whatever profession you have, don't use it as an excuse to usurp your husband's honor that he is due, because God asks you to do that. And so verse six, she summoned Barak, the son of Adamon, from Keshek in Nabataith. 
and said to him, Hasn't the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go, deploy the troops to Mount Tabron, and take with you 10,000 men from the Nepathites and the Zubanites? There's a key thing here. She summons them. Okay, there's a few key things here. First of all, she summons him, meaning she has the power. She has the influence. She summons him, and yet look at how she speaks to him. She says, hasn't the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Deborah is a prophet, so she knows what God has already said. And it appears that God has already told this man, Barak, to go out and take 10,000 men with you and go fight. And that's the third thing that men need, ladies. And we see it here. Men need to be encouraged to become a biblical man. Like, don't just expect it to happen. Encourage it to happen. Encourage it to the men in your family. Encourage it to the men in your church. Like, encouraging them as she is. She's not, like, coming down upon him. She's making a statement. Hasn't God already asked you to do this? So let's go and do it. And and men, God has asked you to do some things in your lives. God has asked you to lead your families. God has asked you to be an active part of your church. God has asked you to be a part of sharing his gospel and building his kingdom in this country and in the world. He's already asked you. And now he's asking you again, haven't I asked you to do this? And ladies, sometimes men just need a little bit of encouragement to take that step forward. And the response of many women in our culture would be, fine, if he ain't going to do it, I'll do it myself. And that doesn't help, because then men are allowed to just not be what God has called them to be. And we sometimes think, you know, here in the West, we watch movies, right? Watch a lot of movies. We got a million streaming services now. And so we see women, like, replacing men in roles on the movie screen, and we're like, yeah, that can happen. Like, there can be an army of women, and they'll defeat the, the hordes of evil men around the world. And it's only kind of in the West that we have these, these ideas that if it's in a movie, it must happen. And so there's this kind of attitude, I don't need a man, I'll do it myself. Evil men, go defeat them. Deborah, why are you talking, telling Barack to take the men? Why don't you just get a bunch of ladies and go defeat those men? What's the big deal? But you don't see Deborah doing that. Because the reality is, is that when there's weak men, evil men will always take over eventually. That's just the reality of history. That's just the reality of the world. We see it. And there are some nations that don't like us here in Canada. There are some nations that are powerful in the world. And they would love to come in and take the freedom that we have. And, and let's be honest, if those places that hate our freedom, that hate the places and the positions and the prosperity that we have, decide to come and try and take it, it is not going to be an army of ladies who will meet them in the fray. There may be some ladies that stand up and do that, but it's either going to be the men or it's going to be no one. And if we saw, if this was the truth, we would see it. We'd see it in the Middle East. We'd see it in Africa. We'd see it in Asia. We'd see it in South America. We would see armies of women rising up and defeating the evil tyrant men, but yet we don't see it. And so it is so critical that we encourage men to become the protectors that they are called to be. Men, you are called to be protectors. You are called, 
regardless of your muscles, regardless of your training, regardless of your background, you are called to be society's protectors. And ladies, they need to be encouraged to do that to the best of their abilities. Because if they're not encouraged to do that, if they're not encouraged to become biblical men who are compassionate and holy, who have integrity and yet are courageous, they will drift and become these shadows of men. And so I love that she encourages them. Deb is, a, is an awesome encourager. She says, deploy your troops to Mount Tabor. Mount Tabor, and we're going to really look at this in a few weeks when we're in our end time series. It's a mount that sort of looks like a cone shape. It's, it's, a, it's a hill that rises 1,300 feet in the Jezreel Valley the valley of Armageddon, the valley of Megiddo, where the last battle will take place. And so that is where this valley, okay, so Mount Teburn is this hill that is surrounded by mountains in a large valley, the largest valley in Israel, one of the largest valleys, they say, for war in the world. And so that's where the chariots are all, in this valley. And so she says, take your troops, go along this mount and then sweep down essentially into the valley and take them by surprise because you can't stand up to them. And how does Barak respond? Verse eight. Barak said, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Barak responds in a defeated attitude. Barak is a representation of the men of his generation, a defeated group of men. He is the leader and he is afraid. He's like a child asking for his mummy to come with him to get the the food from the basement. He is scared. He is defeated. 20 years these people have been oppressed. These men have been stomped into the dirt. Their parents were the ones that turned away. Numbers 14, God promises, he says, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, forgiving iniquity and rebellion, but he will not leave guilt unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generation. And Barak has felt that for 20 years. He was probably a young child when all of the rebellion took place. And now he has grown up a defeated, weak passive man and he needs to be encouraged to take his stand and God makes this call to men all over the world all over the world where there's evil horrible stuff happening right now the same call he makes to to men in uh, Psalm 94 verse 16 he says who will rise up against the wicked for me and who will take a stand for me against evildoers. And God calls that to all men all over the world. Take a stand against the evil, wicked things. He calls it to us now in this generation. There are some evil things going on and it's it's easier to just hide out in our houses and and hope that it all just goes away and, and, oh, it's not gonna be my problem. I'm not gonna be here that much longer. But that's not the attitude that God has for us. I'm sure... The women in North Korea would love for some men to stand up and bring down these evil men that oppress them. 
I'm sure that the women in Mozambique who are, who are so often abandoned by their husbands that give them these babies and then they leave and run off and now they're being overrun by Islamic forces. I'm sure they would love for some biblical men to stand up against those wicked men. I'm sure that the, that the uh, women in Mexico who are essentially... Uh, have their lives controlled by these evil cartels who are more powerful than the Mexican government would love for some biblical men to stand up and protect them. And men, if we don't take our places, if we don't stand up for what is right, someday evil men will take over this land too. And they will oppress and they will hurt. Verse nine, I will gladly go with you, she says. I love how she's a woman who supports him, even though he's taking baby steps. And that's number four. Men need to be supported in their sanctification process, like in their baby steps. And I know it's frustrating sometimes, lady. You're like, you're like, come on, move, get moving. But if he takes a step forward, encourage him. Notice, like, he's not doing what she asked him to do. He's not doing fully what God has asked him to do. He was supposed to go and take the men and defeat these army. God said, I'll be with you. And yet, he says, I'll go but only if you go with me. She says, I'll go, I'll go, because she's supporting him. Like, she's a brilliant woman. I I really look forward to meeting her someday. She's not allowing him to just sit in rebellion, and yet she's not nagging him to become perfect right away. And sometimes that's the, that's the way we need to treat men. We can't allow men to just sit in rebellion and, and be not what God has asked them to be, but we also can't nag them to a level of perfection that they just aren't ready to be at. We need to support them as they're taking small steps forward in their progression. One step after another. One step after another. And and this is the reason why men, I'm going to give you a little secret here, ladies. This is the reason why men love sports and they love work. Okay? Because sports and work offer something that a lot of the time in the 21st century, our lives don't offer. Work and sports offer usually a standard set of rules. They know what their job is. Okay, if I'm a running back, I know what a running back's job is. If I'm a defenseman, I know what that job is. If I'm working at a factory, I know what that job is. A standard set of rules that they can follow, because we're simple guys. Just ask anybody that lives in my house. Simple guy. I need a standard set of rules. And God has given me a standard set of rules. And if I study it and learn it, then I can take one step after the other in following it. But often, there's this idea that a man is supposed to be a bunch of the things that he, God never told him he had to be. And that confuses men. And so for a lot of men, they're just like, I'll bury myself in work, or I'll go play a bunch of hobbies, because this is also confusing, but these things are much easier. Another reason why men love work and sports is because it's easy to know if they're winning or losing. There's the scoreboard. If they... Winning, they know it. If they're losing, they know it. In a job, if they're winning, they're going to get promoted. If they're not, they're going to get punished. But then they're going to be told what they need to do. And a lot of the times, they're just told, you're doing a horrible job as a husband. You're doing a horrible job as a father. You're doing a horrible job in the church. But they don't know what they're supposed to do. They can't see the clock. They don't know if they're winning or losing. And so we have to give them and support them, give them the encouragement that they need. All right, I think really Barak became the man he became because he's listed in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 
31 and 32 as one of the heroes of the faith, I think because of Deborah's support of him. Like, really? I don't think he could have become what God, designed, what God wanted him to become if this wise woman had not come along and sort of held his hand until he became the man that he was supposed to become. Because after this, he actually becomes like a judge himself. He actually starts living out his biblical call and he brings 40 years of peace in the land because of this wise woman. Last thing, last thing. Let's look at the last little bit of text. Then she said, but you will not receive, but you will receive no honor on this road. So she says, I'll come with you, but you will receive no honor on this road you're about to take because the Lord will sell Sesera to a woman. So Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kedesh. Number five, men need to be held accountable. So she's supportive, and yet she's warning him. Listen, God told you to go on your own. I'll go with you, but God wants you to go on your own. So you're not going to get honor in this battle because God's going to give me the honor. And like I see that as a way of holding him accountable. And men, let me tell you, ladies and men, we need to hold men accountable. Like everyone needs, every Christian needs to be held accountable. But men especially need to be held accountable. And I've been thinking about this with this horrible thing with the 215 uh, little children that they found at these residential schools. I, I like, I'm reflecting on how could you be so evil? And, and I know it because I've seen it in other countries. And, and I know the truth. But still, every time I see it, it's always a shock. How do people become the sort of animals that can do those sorts of things to innocent people? They're not held accountable. Somewhere along the line, people didn't hold them accountable. And so they drifted into that tyrant, evil, oppressive sort of person. And they put a religious flag on the top and they thought they were doing good work. Men need to be held accountable so that these sort of things don't happen. And I take comfort knowing that even if these men and women who did these things are never brought to justice, which I hope they are on this earth, God will bring them justice. God will bring retribution for these children someday. And so men need to to be held accountable and not just shirk off their responsibilities. They need to know that if you decide not to do and, and be that which God has decided you should be, you won't get honor. You won't get the giftings. You won't get the blessing of God in your life. You can sit there and do nothing while evil men and women are allowed to run amok. You can sit there and do nothing while the, the whole world goes to hell in a handbasket, but you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out on what God is calling you to do. And if you read on, I encourage you to read the rest of the chapter. He goes with Deborah and, and he, he, you see a sort of a transformation. He goes from being a, a follower, then he goes and goes down against the army and then he becomes a pursuer. And then he becomes the champion that he later becomes. All because of, now, now I know God was involved in this. And ladies, we can't force men to become what they, can't, what they don't want to become. But because of the wise words of a woman, the encouragement, the accountability of Deborah, Barak and the nation are transformed. And so we can be a part of that here now with the current state of manhood. So just some practical things you can do. 
pray that God would ignite. Pray, like, don't just say I'll pray and not pray. Like, pray, dedicate some time in your everyday that God would ignite the passion for the gospel in men's hearts in the West. That he would save them and ignite a passion that they'd be a part of the kingdom building. Encourage men to become, encourage men who are going after God and service. So those few men that you see taking an active role in their family, in the church, in society, encourage them. Like say, I see what you're doing. Great job. Keep going. But also encourage the men who aren't, like we talked about. Encourage them to become, not in the sort of way, but look at the wise words of Zebra and the, I believe in you, and I believe God can use you. And then if they still won't do anything and they're Christians and they're a part of this church, talk to us. Talk to men who will hold these men accountable. And, and that's not a threat to you men that are like, I really just kind of want to exist and I don't want to be held accountable and I just want to do my own thing. That's not a threat. But know that we love you enough that we're going to come after you and encourage you to become that which God has decided you to be or determined you to be. And then last, pray that God would not allow them to be satisfied being in the extremes. Pray that God would not allow the men in our church, the men in our community, the men in our country to be satisfied with not living up to not being that which God determined them to be. That's some five practical things that you can do. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your example. You came to this earth and demonstrated the perfect man. God, would you help us to be that? Oh Lord, would you see and encourage the ladies that they can be such a, an awesome and intricate part of you know, lifting up and encouraging a generation of defeated men, which so many are in this society. Lord, we don't want that to be our children. We want the cycle to break in this generation. Lord Jesus, would you come back and revive our hearts? Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? And would you rescue us from the evil that is oppressing so many men. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.